Disgruntled Uganda pulls out of ICO without stating reason. You may remember an article we wrote last November, which documented the spat between Uganda and the ICO. Now, Uganda announced their departure from the organization, without citing any reason. Dr. Emmanuel Laemilim Nayabijira, the managing director of Uganda Coffee Development Authority, UCDA, wrote to the ICO to notify them of the decision not to extend the agreement beyond the date of February 1, 2022. The letter stated, We would like to notify the depository that the government of Uganda will not join the extension of the ICA International Coffee Agreement from 2007 beyond February 1, 2022. In signing off, Dr. Nayabijira requests the ICO rights to the other members to inform them of the decision, which is a standard procedure. We have attached the letter on the Bartok's website. The move did not go over well internally among the trade unions or coffee associations, with some comments referring to the organization as clueless keyboard warriors. There are also some reports that the letter was sent without the prior notice or approval of the board and took the government by surprise. Generally, coffee is produced in the coffee belt, including countries like Brazil, Vietnam, and Colombia. Coffee trees thrive in an area just 15 degrees above or below the equator due to the constant moderate temperature. Arabica, in particular, is a fussy plant that requires just the right amount of sun and water. Those who see opportunities include some areas of the United States, like California and Florida. This is unusual because a location in California might be 38 degrees north of the equator, which is far from the usual sweet spot. Notably however, the US is the largest consumer of coffee, yet only produces 0.01% of the global coffee supply. With the recent frost in Brazil, the world's biggest coffee grower, that damaged around 10% of the coffee trees and the worst drought the country has faced in 90 years, coffee production has been affected for this year and the next. In addition, transportation costs have skyrocketed, in some cases increasing over 400%. As we write this article, hundreds of container ships sit outside the ports in California, unable to unload their cargo, due to a capacity shortage created by the pandemic. Colombia and Vietnam are also suffering the effects of drastic heat and changing rain patterns. As a result, some think it is time to look at other potential locations to grow coffee. A lead researcher working on a pilot plantation to test the survival of plants in the warming climate at the University of Florida, Diane Rowland, stated. With climate change, we know many areas in the world will have difficulties growing coffee because it is going to be too hot, so Florida could be an option. The pilot plantation tests tree survival in the southern part of the U.S., as the climate is getting warmer there. Arabica coffee trees that were grown in greenhouses and have now been moved to the open. Roland said that this would be the first time they, the plants, will be tested. As part of their research, they are using an intercropping technique that helps hold winds and provide shade to coffee trees by planting them close to citrus. This is a part of bigger research, scientists are looking more into the plant's root systems, which could potentially help the future selection of optimal coffee varieties for the region. Recently, farmer David Armstrong finished planting a crop of approximately 20,000 Arabica coffee trees in Ventura, California. 
He is part of a group of farmers who are pursuing the largest coffee-growing endeavor in the U.S., with the aim of growing 100,000 coffee trees. In the group, with Armstrong, is founder and chief executive of Fringe Coffee, Jay Rusky, who went public about his coffee farming trials in 2014. Rusky's company provides farmers who are interested in coffee farming a partnership package that includes seedlings, post-harvest processing and marketing. Even though Armstrong comes from a long line of farmers, they typically grow crops like citrus fruits and avocados. He admits he has no experience in coffee farming, but to assist with his new endeavor, Armstrong installed an irrigation system to increase the efficiency of water usage, as water has been scarce in California due to recent droughts and forest fires. Climate change is a worrying factor for coffee farming businesses worldwide, but the pursuit of successful coffee planting in the U.S. might provide hope for global coffee production in the future. Joseph Antoine Kusanga Mukuta applied to become ICO's new executive director with the support and endorsement of the government of the DRC. On September 9th, Desire Mzinga Berryhands from the DRC wrote to Mr. Set, whose tenure will shortly end, to endorse Mr. Mukuta. In the letter, available on the Bartok's website, Mr. Mzinga asked that Mukuta's limited command of the English language not be held against him in his application. We think he is right to do so, but what are the challenges or benefits from a board that doesn't fluently speak the same language? The current board members at the ICO are from diverse cultural backgrounds, but if there is not a single common language, shouldn't you expect there to be some detriment to performance? And poor communication is the cause of many organizational maladies. But as prolific author Malcolm Gladwell pointed out in his last book, Talking to Strangers, assumptions we make based on common sense are often utterly flawed logic in practice. So I did some research into the subject. The first thing I discovered was that distinguishing on language is a form of discrimination, as it is a form of national origin discrimination, and therefore prohibited by law in several countries. But speaking practically, pun intended, how are boards supposed to perform if they don't clearly understand each other? Technology, at least in part, comes to the rescue here as new functionality in video software like Microsoft Teams allows the speakers to be translated and presented in captions in real time. I've tried it, and it works very well. But we might be missing the wider point. The ICO is an international organization and that is represented by an already diverse membership. This is good, and with offices from India, Switzerland and South America, there is already a multilingual capability on the board. This is relevant because a diverse multicultural and multilingual board performs better than its less linguistic counterparts. I found some data supporting this from Mass Challenge, which is a US accelerator, a company that helps startups grow quickly with access to advice, contacts, and funding. They looked at investments they had made into different companies, some with boards composed of exclusively English-only speakers, and others with bilingual speakers. They found that for each dollar of funding they provided, the boards with bilingual directors generated 78 cents, while those with English-only speakers generated a meager 31 cents. Laidlaw scholars noted the following benefits. 
1. Investment in companies founded by someone who is bilingual generates 10% more in cumulative value over a 5-year period than English-only speaking founders. 2. Bilingual entrepreneurs create more long-term value. 3. 55% of companies that fell off the Fortune 1000 index had only one or no bilingual directors on their board. 4. A ranking of Fortune 500 companies by number of bilingual speakers on their boards found those in the highest quartile had a 42% greater return on sales. 5. Companies with at least one bilingual director on the board outperform those with none. We have seen the ICO go through some serious challenges over the last few years, recently with Uganda pulling out of the organization. Mr. Mukuta has a very different profile from that of the outgoing Mr. Set, with perhaps a more hands-on understanding of coffee, and a reported good sense of humor. Perhaps it's time for the organization to consider a fresh approach, and embrace the challenges faced not only by the industry, but also, to the organization themselves. Philippines-based food and beverage company Veraco was named one of the 50 best small businesses in the United Nations Good Food for All competition. The company has a coffee brand called Circa 1740 that offers their original patented dip coffee products, which is a twist to your average instant coffee. We like this feisty small startup that has big plans to open 27 more shops, a coffee farm and a research facility. Nobody can accuse them of not thinking big. The Circa 1740 Dip Coffee is made from pure coffee, sourced from partnering farmer communities in the Philippines. Every product is made of at least 90% coffee and a maximum of 10% milk or spices. The coffee products create full-bodied coffee blends in a matter of seconds, served in deep, pyramid bags. While the deep bags are made of food-grade nylon, which isn't 100% biodegradable, they are working towards a more sustainable solution. Co-founder and COO of Faraco Ariestello Asilo stated, We wanted to use paper to make it more sustainable but could not, as we discovered that it would affect and decrease the taste of the coffee. So now we are venturing into looking for other types of dip bag materials as we strive to make the dip bag 100% eco-friendly in the future. Baraka was also named as one of the 50 best small businesses in the United Nations Good Food for All competition. The winners are chosen by what the business contributes to healthier and more sustainable consumables for their communities. The company prides itself in Filipino culture and heritage, from sourcing to packaging. Baraka emphasizes coffee from Batangas. As the city holds a huge significance in Filipino coffee history, it was where coffee first arrived back in 1740. On top of sourcing locally, the company works with local communities, particularly the disabled and mothers, to help with their income. Veraco also uses digital technology like the Internet of Things IoT, to assist with productivity and quality. Circa 1740 has six different coffee products, available for purchase at their own restaurant, Templado, other corporate shops, and online, on Shopee, and Lazada. In the future, they hope to get them onto local supermarket shelves. A 
According to IBS World, the world price of coffee has spiked 21.6% to Australian $3.65, US $2.66, per kilogram of raw coffee beans. The rise in cost is due to climate change-related weather events, as well as recent global supply chain issues, including droughts and frosts. The demand for coffee is also a factor for maintaining these high prices. As a result of the recent frosts in Brazil, the production of growers has been cut by 25%. Since Brazil is the world's largest coffee producer and produces about half of the world's supply, this cut is drastic. Importers are paying more for specialty coffee beans from Brazil. Importer Marcelo Brussi says he is paying 45% more than he was before. As coffee roasters are second in the supply chain, they are also affected by the increased price. Speciality coffee roaster Brendan Bonacci admitted that they are having to pay an additional 50 cents extra for a kilogram of imported coffee beans, which now costs them Australian $1.50. Coffee roasters like Bonacci supply roasted beans to other cafes, and since they can't absorb the extra cost on their own, they have to share some of the added costs with these cafes. Bonacci stated. To have to pass on the cost to a suffering industry that has already been slaughtered by lockdown after lockdown, is like a dagger in the heart. The droughts in North Africa, as well as the increased freight costs, are also adding to the price rise of coffee. However, an expert in logistics and supply chain management at Swinburne University, Hadi Gattery, stated that the demand for coffee is also a reason for the price to remain quite high. Due to the pandemic that caused lockdowns and remote working, people have been more interested in coffee and high-end coffee machines. A senior analyst at IBS World commented that they have not seen that type of price peak since 2014. During the official opening ceremony of the first Uganda Saudi Arabia Expo, Uganda's Minister of Foreign Affairs, General Abubakar Jij Odongo, stated that the Ugandan government will work towards increasing coffee exports to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which is a rapidly growing coffee market. The aim of the event, themed, the Uganda coffee industry perspective, farming, processing and exports, is to increase the volume of coffee products exported from Uganda to Saudi Arabia. This is the first time businessmen from both countries convened to discuss methods of increasing trade between them. General Odongo noted that Saudi Arabia is the fastest-growing coffee market in the Middle East. The Saudi market is projected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 6.2% from 2021 to 2027. This growth is a motivating factor to increase the country's coffee exports and comes at an uncertain time for the industry, as Uganda plans to leave the International Coffee Organization early next year. At present, Uganda exports $419,000 worth of coffee to Saudi Arabia. President Museveni directed the Uganda Coffee Development Authority to increase production to 20 million cups by 2025, a significant jump from the current 3.5 million. This effort by representatives of both countries is a good first step in the right direction, paving the way for other discussions pertaining to socio-economic matters. Go to www.bartalks.net for the full articles. I look forward to seeing you all next week for the latest stories in the world of coffee. 
And don't forget to check out our other podcasts, including the popular weekly Bean Talk with Nick and Max, interviews, and of course, the Coco Newscasts.